This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoyed the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. And I want to give a special thank you to Alex Long, who just made a very generous contribution to the show via PayPal. Alex writes, Love your show. So many of your guests have a similar upbringing to mine, bringing back fond memories of my nerdy 1980s childhood, which I have only recently realized were some of the happiest years of my life. Thanks so much. So big thanks again to Alex Long for his support. All right, so now let's get to our show. Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 406 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing the awesomely bad 80s fantasy movies The Sword and the Sorcerer, Hawk the Slayer, Excalibur, Dragon Slayer, and Willow. And this will involve spoilers for all of those movies, so just be aware of that. And this is a follow-up to episode 371, in which we discussed Krull, Legend, The Beastmaster, Highlander, and Masters of the Universe. So definitely check that out if you missed it. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got Andrea Kale, making her 13th appearance on the show. She's a graduate of the Odyssey Writers Workshop, and her short fiction appears in the Writers of the Future anthology, Fantasy Magazine, and Lightspeed. She's the former script supervisor for Late Night with Conan O'Brien, and is currently a staff writer at WWE's Friday Night Smackdown. So Andrea, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back, Dave. The next up, we've got Tom Grenzer, making his 11th appearance on the show. His short fiction appears in magazines such as Realms of Fantasy and in books such as New Voices and Science Fiction. His nonfiction book Think Like Google is out now, and his short story All Our Donkeys Were in Vain appears in the new anthology The Best of Galaxy's Edge 2015 to 2017. So Tom, welcome to the show. Glad to be back. And also joining us today is Matthew Kressel, also making his 11th appearance on the show. He's the author of the novel King of Shards, and his short story The Last Novelist, or A Dead Lizard in the Art, was nominated for the Nebula Award, and was a finalist for the Yuji Foster Memorial Award. His new novel, Queen of Static, is available now on his Patreon page over at patreon.com slash mattkressel. So, Matt, welcome to the show. Always good to be here. Okay, and so if you're wondering how we came up with this list of movies, these were all movies that we considered for our previous awesomely bad 80s fantasy movies panel back in episode 371, but they got excluded either because they were too good or too (laughs) obscure. (laughs) Um, but that last panel was such a hit that, uh, uh, there was just such a, uh, a groundswell of public opinion for us to do another one. So I clamoring, if you will, (laughs) I thought I would loosen the criteria a little bit and come back and talk about some of those, uh, that we didn't get to last time. And so, uh, and also I made a mistake last time. I said that Willow was above 70% on Rotten Tomatoes and it's actually 50%. So I don't know. I, I really? Know, I made a little mistake there, but uh, so it, it definitely uh, it qualifies even under the uh, you know the old criteria. Um, but so let's start out. I was gonna do these basically from what I consider to be baddest to least bad. Uh, <laughs> so for me, we're gonna start off with Hawk the Slayer. Uh, Actually, oh, oh, I forgot. Actually, before I actually before we get into Hawk the Slayer too much, I was going to ask everyone if you had seen any of these movies before this panel and in the theater. Uh, so, so Andrea, have did you see any of these movies before or in the theater? 
I had seen um, Dragon Slayer several times, Excalibur, and Willow. Uh, hadn't seen Hawk the Slayer, and I I don't think I've seen the Sword and the Sorcerer, but that the there's this element of it that looks really familiar. So maybe I have seen parts of it. I don't know, but 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 definitely those definitely those three I mentioned. Yeah, I think I know what elements you're talking about, but we'll get to that yeah. in a little bit. Um, how about Tom? Had you seen these before? Uh, the exact same ones that Andrea had seen, Willow and Dragon Slayer and Excalibur, I actually had seen so many times I basically had it memorized. But uh, I used to love, it was like my favorite movie when I was, uh, I don't know, like 14 or something like that. And um, yeah, hadn't seen Hawk the Slayer and... Uh, and hadn't I don't think I had seen Sword and the Sorcerer though I was shocked because when I saw the title I was like oh yeah I remember that movie and then when I watched <laughs> it I was like well, I don't remember any of this I don't think I ever saw this. Well, well, actually, you know, with Hawk the Slayer and the Sword and the Sorcerer, I watched them like a day ago and I don't remember them at all. So if you, uh... I, I was just thinking the same thing. I'm like, I hope David doesn't put me on the spot and ask me to summarize them because I'm going to be yeah. like, I don't remember. That's like, exactly how I feel. Like I couldn't tell you what the plot was. Couldn't tell you what was happening. I just gave up and let it in, uh, let it entertain me in all the worst ways. We're gonna have an argument about Hawk the Slayer, but go ahead. Oh, oh okay. no, no, but but literally, oh, yes. like I, I watched both those movies, and I have to like getting ready for this panel. I have to like keep going back and rewatching the trailer and reading the plot synopsis because it just like flies <laughs> out of my mind so, like, yeah. so fast. How does Hawk the Slayer fly out of your mind? Oh my gosh, that elf! I am okay. an elf. Sorry, go ahead. All right, wait, wait, wait. We'll get to that. But first, like Matt, had you, had you seen this before? Um, I think it was exactly the same as everybody. I, I saw Excalibur, Dragon Slayer, and Willow, but not the Sword and the Sorcerer and Hawk the Slayer. Um, I actually saw, um, Excalibur in the theater, I remember. It was a double feature with Outland with Sean Connery. Ah. And I saw it with my father, and, and I really loved Outland, and I remember when Excalibur came on, I, I probably made it like 30, 40 minutes, and I turned to my dad, and I'm like, can we go? And he's like, all right. <laughs> yeah. He really wanted to stay. <laughs> well, and Excalibur is a long movie, too. It's like it's well long, over two hours. I, so. I, I was yeah, six two, years old. Two hours, 20 minutes. Oh, oh yeah. You wouldn't have yes. made through it. It's I six or seven. I, I think I was I was probably seven, and, and I was like, you know, it's not a movie for a seven-year-old. Oh, no. no. Yeah, yeah. That, and that's brutal too for to be the second movie in a double feature. Yeah, oh my right. God. Yeah. Um. All right, but yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about Hawk. This I, and I think probably most fantasy fans who were alive in the eighties, it's probably the same thing. I mean, same thing for me. Uh, I don't think I'd ever heard of Hawk the Slayer before. I have vague memories, like Andrea, of the Sword and the Sorcerer, but I don't think I ever actually saw it. But I think I was sort of aware of it through cultural osmosis a little bit. Um, but like Tom was saying, n nothing in it seemed really familiar when I went back and watched it. Um, but so yeah, so Hawk the Slayer, um, let's see. So there's a pair of brothers who are princes. There's the evil one, Voltan, and the good one, Hawk. And, um, Voltan is lusting after Hawk's girlfriend and ends up killing her. And then Hawk swears revenge. And he gathers a bunch of companions, including uh, <laughs> Gort the Giant, Crow the Elf, and Baldin the Dwarf. And when Boltan kidnaps the abbess of a uh, nunnery, uh, Hawk and his friends 
swing into action to save the day. They go there and eat a lot of meals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in every scene in the Abbey, they're eating. Every single scene. No. So I thought this movie was absolutely dreadful. It sounds like Tom maybe disagrees with that. I don't. I don't disagree that it's dreadful, but uh, oh, you think it was memorable though. Let, yeah, let me put it this way. If you're going to be bad, at least don't be boring. And this oh, movie yeah. totally lives up to that that rule. It, it From the first minute, you've got this half-whispered narration, and then an old man watching something boil, and then clav- and clavichord music, and then a 65-year-old Jack Palance calling somebody who's 66 years old an old man. Yeah, he's the younger son. He's the younger son. Yeah, the other son's the oldest. No, he was the old. He was the older son. Well, maybe I got that wrong. I have to go back and watch it again. But I was pretty sure they they said he was the older son. But he's yelling at his. He's like, "Don't tell me what to do, old man." He's yelling to his father, who's like a year older. Who actually, the actor was two years older than him. I looked it up. (laughs) So uh, that was clap. From that, they had me like all that stuff flashed at you in the first like minute and 40 seconds and i was like i'm so in love with this movie it's so bad but they don't care they're gonna put the pedal to the metal and every scene if you can i mean some movies you can't like you can't figure them out like i number one i defy you to try to figure out what's going to happen in this movie before it happens and then i defy you to figure out what happened after it happens Well, it's interesting, Tom, you mentioned that this movie, because I, I feel like most or all of these movies opened with that kind of like storybook text in a time of legends, the blah, yeah. blah, blah. That was a real, <laughs> yeah. a real feature of 80s, awesomely bad yep. 80s fantasy movies. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right. So, uh, so Andrea, yes. initial reactions to Hawk the Slayer. I wrote in all caps in my notes delightful (laughs) it is absolutely i don't know how i've never seen this movie before it was so magnificently terrible yes it's so wonderful i was dying laughing the entire time (laughs) Me too. and i i just i would watch it again just because it's so terrible it's wonderful like in the best 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 way the lip syncing (laughs) the mind sword the the disco music, the, the yeah, disco the music was fantastic. It was oh, fantastic. By the way, Harry Robertson is the he's the producer and he made the music. And to me, it's hard to conceive of anybody being so multi non talented. Multi faceted. Yeah, um, I absolutely adored it from start to finish it was a fabulous fabulous terrible movie experience and i i i have to i'm an a connoisseur an aficionado of bad movies and this one right up there buddy well okay so you so andreas you mentioned the mind sword i think it's technically the sword of minds actually that was one of the things that i thought was really cool actually was so he has this sword and it has a a hand like that the pommel is a is a you know metal hand and then he puts a uh like an elven jewel or something in it and the fingers wrap around the um the jewel and i was actually kind of startled when that happened but i was like oh that's really i thought that was pretty cool so that's pretty much the only positive thing i'm gonna say about the movie (laughs) yeah (laughs) but uh i thought that was good so how about matt what were your initial reactions to hawk the slayer um it was wonderfonderfully terrible um it, it you know it 
I, I don't know if I would consider this like rewatchable terrible. Um, but I, I had fun while I was watching it. Um, I, I like how the, like, the father has this, you know, very distinguished British accent, my son. And then the son's like, yeah, dad. And this like American <laughs> accent, like they don't care. They're just like, yeah, British accent, American accent. It's fine. Um, I'm pretty sure that he, he, um, told the hero that he was the eldest son. Um, but wow. yeah, Jack Palance is just brilliant in this. Oh, like he's God, just, yes. I mean, his expression and like, I think what I, what I loved about it was just like the earnestness of this movie. Like it takes itself so seriously. And I think the, the character that takes himself the most seriously is the elf, <laughs> the elf <laughs> yeah. with like, like literally like, glued on ears like you can see the, scene. <laughs> the worst ears yeah and, and the robe it was like the i kept calling him the robot elf that yeah the, he would the, just recite yeah, his lines yeah, like yeah. this yeah, <laughs> yeah like, he was wait wait like it's not even acting he's just yeah. i mean what is he no he was the most socially awkward elf in the history of elves he was like he was I watched the Mystery Science Theater. Uh, they had a Riff Tracks version of this. I was just going to say, this is yes. this is ready for that. <laughs> they, exactly. They actually, Andrea, they called him the Elf 2000. They're like, yeah. is, he, is that like a robot elf? He's like, <laughs> he is, a, is he? He's a robot. He goes, there are two, my, there's two cool things in this. first. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> there's two cool things I liked about it. I liked the machine gun, the, the, the oh um, oh, machine yeah. arrow, the yeah. machine yeah. crossbow. Choo, 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 choo. I was it's like, a, that's cool. The, the fully automatic crossbow. <laughs> exactly. And then um when when he goes and visits the witch and he's like summoning like, you know, the D and D party together. Yeah. Um yeah. and like the rings of light spinning around him, I'm like, you know, yeah. for for like an early eighties effect, that was kinda cool. Like I was like, I I didn't mind that so much. I mean those yes, were just that was, that was, hoops, weren't they? Yeah, that's what it were basically like. blowing hula hoops, but yeah. it was hula hoops it, it with was... a black light on them or something. <laughs> yeah, but that was it was all balanced out by the incredibly bad background paintings. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, the matte paintings. It was like the Wizard of Oz was better. <laughs> oh. God Almighty, it was so terrible. Yeah, well, like the uh, he goes to wait. Is it? I forget if it's the nunnery or like he goes to some other monastery or something. That's the most conspicuously fake matte painting I've yeah. ever seen yeah, in yeah. any movie ever. Yeah, oh, yeah, they were stunningly, stunningly bad, but I, but I couldn't. It was like that uh, that Jerry Seinfeld line when when somebody paints Kramer and they call it the Kramer and they hang it up and somebody's looking at it and they go, "It's he's a vicious, disgusting brute." Yet I can't look away. That was how I felt through this entire movie. I was like, "This is awful," but it's and I disagree, Matt. I would fully watch this like five more times. There was so much I missed. It was like it was never. What I will say for it, you're, it was totally took itself too seriously and every, everything you guys said, but there wasn't like, you couldn't count to 30 without going like, what the heck? Yeah, what <laughs> is really, you, They just kept like rolling out. They're like, oh, and then we're going to do this. Oh, and in this scene, we're going to do this. We're going to throw this at him. I was just like, wow, you are never, ever letting me like get my footing, which, which I thought no. was, that was charming to me. I was, I was like, somebody worked hard to make sure that like this, Whoever made this movie was before their time because they sh- they would have been they threw everything YouTube. in there yeah they threw the yeah. kitchen sink in there yeah they actually shot a, like scenes that were supposed to take place like in different parts of the world like literally the same lake they just from a different <laughs> angle 
like where Jack Palance's face gets burned, and then when they yeah. have, like the raiding oh, party yeah. later on, it's the same. It's the same thing. It's, you it's just like, oh yeah, that's spot. the same tree from before. Yeah, yeah. They were like, they had like a piece of land where somebody's like, yeah, you can film here, and they're like, okay, yeah, you can film things? here, but you got five hours. Yeah, and you, yeah. And you can't film over there because that's Farmer So and So's land. Right. <laughs> well, I guess one thing I'll say though, I mean, Jack Palance, I, I actually don't know. I guess he's a pretty well-known actor. I, I couldn't tell you. Who oh he yeah. Is. But yeah, he oh, was yeah. he was legitimately terrifying. I mean, he's like overacting in a lot of these scenes, but he was legitimately terrifying. Like I would be so scared. I mean, he was like he seems like a crazy. He like he's pre- such a good. Oh, much plays the I, villain in like everything, right? Yeah, I think if he, he always does. If he had died in a fire, you could have you could have identified the body by f- making plaster casts of the teeth marks in the scenery <laughs> of this movie. He chewed so much. He was just like ah. He's like, it was fantastic. He's so good. Yeah. And if you don't know him, Dave, he was in, uh, he was the guy, the head guy for Ripley's Believe It or Not TV show in the 80s. He would always be like looking at the camera like, believe it or not. I kept mistaking him for the guy. Did you ever see Amazon Women on the Moon where they do, is it bullshit or not? And that guy (laughs) is actually in the, in, um, in Dragon Slayer. Oh really? The there was a couple of yeah. crossovers, yeah, of actors. Yeah. But well, he was other- also f- from the late eighties. He was in um, it's that Billy Crystal mu- movie where they go and ride horses. And, oh yeah, uh, oh, yeah. City oh, 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 City Slickers. City Slickers. He was yeah. City Slickers. Yeah. He was he was Smiley. Yeah, that's oh, right. Wow. He was Smiley, and he was the he was uh he was the Joker. It was Jack Nicholson that slash the Joker's uh, boss in uh, yes. Batman in the original right. Batman with Michael Keaton. Mm-hmm. He's like, you are my number one guy. And then Jack Nicholson <laughs> does a Jack Palance impression after that when he becomes yeah. all crazy and nutty. He was like the go-to villain in the 80s, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think he did, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite certain about this. So if I'm wrong, don't, you know, email me about it. But, um, I think he was, uh, in a lot of westerns in like the 50s as the yeah. bad guy. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay, but so one one like obviously notable feature of this movie is how they show that somebody is firing a crossbow very quickly or a bow and arrow very quickly by just using the same footage repeated a couple times in a row in a very very obvious way. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just wondering like when people watch this movie in 1980 like was that really the be- like did people watch it and be like not realized it was like just the same shot over and over again or like I don't even get oh, why I, they would do that. Because I think they're just bad filmmakers. <laughs> I don't, these are not guys who uh, have a lot of experience. It's it's quite obvious. Even though a lot of the actors um, I recognize from like good British movies, so mm-hmm. it was, it's very odd. I actually remember that um, that technique back then. Figuring that out as a teenager, being like not like being like, oh, that's so obvious, but back then going like. Hey, we could do that. Like getting a video camera from the AV department at the high school because you didn't have one at your house, and being like, "Hey, we could we could do that," and like making like getting geeking out on that. Like we could make like somebody just disappear. Like check it out. We just like, <laughs> we stop the camera and they walk out of the shot, and then we start like really, really like no. Back then, I think that was like, "Whoa, what's going on?" Like it's trick photography. So I I don't think it was uh super obvious to people back then. So so Tom, if you if you had seen this in 1980, do you think you would have liked it 
like with all the the dungeons and dragons. like it has it's a very obvious like Dungeons and Dragons movie. With oh the yeah, elf and and, the, and also uh, and also Tolkien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the Gimli? And uh, there was a guy. There was a character named Gimli, right? The the, the dwarf was talking about his the pit of Gimli or something oh, like that. Oh, that he said he also yeah. com- comes from the Iron Hills. Yeah. So the Iron Hills. That's oh, right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. There was and there was a ton of token references in it. Yeah, but um, I'm sorry. What was your question, Dave? Do you think you would have liked this if? How old were you in 1980? Uh, I was 11. You think you would have liked this if you had watched it when you were 11 in 1980? I mean, I would have known it was a bad movie. I knew the difference from a bad movie and a good movie, but I, but I would have, you know, yeah, I would have been like, oh wow, this is check this out. This is this is awesome. It's hilariously bad. I would have, I would have known it was bad, but hilariously bad even back then. But I think I would have really liked it too. I wouldn't have been like. Oh, it's so cool! Like there, there's an elf. I would have been like, that elf is ridiculous. Check this guy out. I would have, I totally would have thought he was funny. Another thing I noticed, like, so one of the characters, so so Voltan is the villain. Was there not a Voltan in um, Flash yes. Gordon? Sure was. <laughs> Voltan, but he was. Um, he was the Hawkman. It was the Hawkman. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was Brian Blessed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just I just wonder if. Uh, I don't know. Was that just a coincidence they came up with the same name, or did they, uh, I don't know, probably some, somebody steal it from somebody else? It sounds like a they're... cool fantasy name. Pro- probably Voltan was probably a character from the original Flash Gordon. Oh, yeah, he was. Yeah, so... yeah, they, yeah, yeah, they, so they stole they it. They probably just were like, that sounds like a cool fantasy name. Yeah. Yeah, they either stole it consciously or unconsciously, because, like, the, the Gimli thing and the Iron Hills, and there was a bunch yeah. of other references I caught, too, that I was like, this, whoever made this just loves science fiction and fantasy and just. Yeah threw everything in. I actually heard in one of the things on uh, YouTube videos I listened to, I heard that the guy who played Hawk, um John uh John Terry. Yeah. John Terry, that he was actually a huge like sword and sorcery fan and that's part of the reason he wanted to do this movie. And so maybe he's that's so terrible. <laughs> well the maybe maybe part of the reason he's so terrible is because he was so into it, you know, that he was yeah. doing it doing it too serious, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but he had that fantastic office mullet. <laughs> oh God! Yeah. Oof. Wait. Can, can we just talk about the 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 uh, what do they call that spray? That stringy spray? Oh, the silly, silly string. string. Silly string. Does the whole, the fight seem like they're just spraying yeah. silly string at each other? Look, like, oh, the silly string. I know. I was, that was a big old belly laugh. <laughs> that was a that was a magical battle. Was this yeah? At the um, end, when yeah. there's like the blizzard blows in. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I, I was floored by that. I would, hi, any listener, if you, if you want to be, I mean, this, if you want a movie that starts out in medias rest, uh, and then just stays in medias rest the whole time, so you never know what the heck is happening, but you're always like kind of off balance and having fun, it's free on YouTube. Go watch it. It's, it's definitely worth it. Well, I mean, just as film, film goes, like the story is ridiculous. I mean, I don't, Nobody needs to point this out, but it was like, why are they getting money to save the abbess? Like, what is this? What are the stakes here? Just saving this woman? I'm confused. It was, it was was totally a, um, what the heck is that Kurosawa movie? What the Magnificent Seven was based on? (gasps) Really? Um, Well, yeah, it was like, oh, these, oh, no, it wasn't because they didn't train the, the nuns how to fight. That, oh, that would have been cool, though. That would have been cool. I bet if they would have thought of it, they would have done that, too. Well, it's funny. One of the notes I took was every time they would stop on the, the main character, Hawk, um, the disco would go like like um, like Sergio Leone, like that, woo 
I'm sorry. I'm not <laughs> oh, gonna... yeah. Yeah, no, it, it was, was. It was the. Yeah, it was the little. The little yeah, it was a High Plains Drifter uh, note thing. Yeah, it was the spaghetti western thing. Yeah, exactly. Every time they showed. Every time, like, there would be a scene and then. Bad people would be doing bad things, and then they'd suddenly cut, and you'd see Clint Eastwood watching them. They'd play that exactly. Movie. Yeah, yep. and they they kept playing that for Hawk, and uh, you're yep. right, they just totally lifted that. They're like, oh, let's yep. do that. Yep. All right. Totally so, did. so we got to move on to Sword and the Sorcerer. Uh, so, but maybe we can come back and talk about Hawk the Slayer a little bit more if but we have time. <laughs> but so in Sword and the Sorcerer, oh boy, let's see. So uh, <laughs> there's this guy Talon, and when he's a teenager. Uh, this bad guy, Cromwell, murders his family, his, you know, the king and queen, and the prince Talon is given this sword with three blades, two of which fire <laughs> like projectiles, <laughs> and he, uh, he flees into the wilderness and then comes back as an adult when he's totally badass and takes revenge. Uh, Cromwell also has like brought this sorcerer slash demon kind of guy back to life and then betrayed him. And that guy's working around too. And there's this, um, <laughs> sort of conspiracy involving Micah and Alana who are siblings and who are the children of, uh, the old, the old good king's, uh, chief advisor. And they're trying to overthrow Cromwell and install Micah on the throne. <sighs> so, uh, Matt. <laughs> Overall, initial reactions to the sword and the sorcerer. Um, I just saw this as like a complete parody. I could I couldn't take this seriously at all. Like where there's like a scene where the guys basically saying, "Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll save your kingdom if you sleep with me," and <laughs> yeah. his erection literally lifts the table. <laughs> I mean, and she's like, "Oh, okay." And, and I'm just like, "What am I watching?" So, are you guys ever watch uh, Red Dwarf, the British show Red Dwarf? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He he reminded me a hundred percent of Ace Rimmer. So a Ace Rimmer <laughs> is like the um, you know alternate reality version of Arnold Rimmer. Arnold Rimmer is like this um, just total like loser and jerk, and and Ace Rimmer is like the hero. He's like. Smoke me a kipper, I'll be back for breakfast. And it's like this exaggerated, <laughs> ridiculous cliche of, of every like action hero that you've ever seen. And, and that's exactly what this, like even down to like the, the, uh, the fur coat he wears, like when he, oh my when God. he strolls in and the way that his swagger. I mean, it was just so ridiculous. Yep. Well, well, you know, and like, and the plot makes no sense. Like there's this whole <laughs> thing where like they summon this demon from the deep. I'm like, Oh, this is going to have a real big role. And then, like, the guy's first in command goes, oh, you're not going to do anything for us. You're just, you know, you're worthless. And then instead of killing him, he turns around and kills the, the witch who summons. Yeah. Like, All right, that makes no sense. Yeah. And then and then literally, I think it's like the next scene or the, the two scenes later, the guy, he just walks up. Like, the, the villain walks up to the demon and just stabs the demon. And I said, yeah. wait, wait, why, why did you do this? Like, did we miss a scene? Uh, maybe I missed the scene, but I'm like... Why is he killing him? Didn't he just yeah. summon him for his help? But then, you know, it was like, well, plot, you know, we, we need to, we need the demon to be angry at him, you know, so, so it'll well, come I, into play I, later. I think he had gotten what he wanted from the demon at that point, but it was not at all clear. Uh, no, okay. it was not. Yeah. We, he, there was a scene where the king explained it to one of his henchmen. He's like, well, he's, he's defeated all these armies for us. We can do the rest ourselves. We don't want him to hang around any longer. I'll just kill him now while he's weak. After he just de defeated this whole army, 
And the guy's like, oh, sounds good to me. <laughs> Maybe I was just so in awe of what I saw in the last scene that I missed the dialogue before that. I missed um, it too. I felt that I had the same reaction. I'm like, what the fuck? But I, I love, I love how like the boy, he goes away. I don't know how old he is, 11 or something. And then he comes back and it, it's, it, you know, it's supposed to be like a decade later. And he's like 45. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, okay, sure, yeah. Rough, rough years. Yeah. But so, so I want to pick up on the, the erection thing because, um, <laughs> so there's a, there's a scene in this movie where like completely out of nowhere, he just goes through this like harem with all these like naked women. Yeah. And yeah. so, so apparently the producer of this movie, all of his previous movies were softcore porn. And, <laughs> and this was just oh, not surprising. So much. And this was yeah. his, like, first foray into, like, non-porn, but he was afraid it wouldn't do well. And so just, like, he insisted that they put that scene in so that he could always, like, sell it to his softcore porn buddies, uh, you know, if it <laughs> if it didn't pan out as, a, like, an actual movie. So, oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, see, my theory was that there were two writers, and they were writing this movie, and they didn't, neither of them wanted to write fantasy. <laughs> and they got, like, 20 minutes in, and they just looked at each other and were like, how many naked breasts do you think we could fit in like plausibly fit into the 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 scene into the shot like and they had a contest to see like who could do more because then they had like you know it wasn't just the harem it was like there was other stuff too wasn't there there was like another he goes through the harem but wasn't there wasn't there like another scene like right butted up to that where there was a lot of naked breasts in, in that scene as well i don't i mean there was certainly a lot of like scantily clad people i yes. don't remember any other like naked press particularly but but I, I i agree with you tom that like my impression watching this movie before i knew anything about it was it, it just from you know like when, when i was a kid i used to like we you know i had a vhs camera and just some of my friends and i would go out and we would like like quote unquote make movies just like out in the woods running around you know and we had yeah. no scripts or anything it's just like oh wouldn't it be cool if like i jumped off this rock you know it's like oh yeah let's film that and that's like what is, that was like somehow like if we had had like a million dollars to make a movie, <laughs> this is what we would have made. It had that exact same feel of just like twelve year old boys like having a blast making a movie and like not having a script or like any like ambition or anything like that. So yeah, I don't know, uh, Matt. Anything else from this movie stick out in your mind? Yeah, when the witch goes, look. It lives. <laughs> it, it was kind of long. I mean, I was like two thirds of the way through. I'm like, ah, kind of over yet. How long was it? <laughs> it's a bit of a personal question. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was so long enough to form, lift it? a table. Right, <laughs> long enough. To- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, there were literally like, well, not literally. There were figuratively like 2,700 phallic jokes in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's um, a small threat. That's a very small threat. Yeah. Says. Oh, good one, Talon. <laughs> I mean, one, th- one thing I heard is I-, I think the special effects in this were actually pretty good for the time. And I think one of the things I heard was that the people who did the special effects in this went on to do like special effects for, uh, you know, bigger movies you know actually became developed sort of reputation for doing good special effects so yeah that's um, a good point because you know what struck me i kept thinking in this movie and i think in dragon slayer 2 also i kept thinking uh do you remember that any of you guys remember the magazine fangoria yeah sure is that still around i I think think it is. is well i me and my friends when we were like 
12 to 14, used to go into bookstores and just like be like, oh, the new issue of Fangoria is out. We'd like pick it up and never buy it, but we'd just like leaf through it and like be like, oh, look at that sick, look at that creature, look at all the blood dripping out of its mouth. And like, we'd just like always be into the, the special effects of the creatures. And this movie particularly, I was like, this must have been written up in Fangoria. This is like right out of the pages of that. Uh, just looking at my notes here, let's see it. Cause, you know, we talked about in our last panel about how there wasn't a ton of imagination in these awesomely bad 80s fantasy movies. And they all kind of felt like they were made by this, you know, written by the same person or like, you know, recycled the same elements. Yeah. So I have a few notes about that. So like, uh, Sword and the Sorcerer and Hawk the Slayer, the love interest is being forced to marry the villain, as in Crawl and Legend. Uh, you know, all four of those movies have that trope. Yeah. Um, in Flash Gordon, yep, in Flash Gordon too, yeah. That's and, what the, this reminded me of Flash Gordon quite a bit. And then, um, Hawk the Slayer, the Sword and the Sorcerer both have swords that somehow fly through the air, which is also <laughs> kind of yeah. similar to the killer boomerangs in Crawl and Beastmaster. Yeah, so it's like you know, in the eighties, mm-hmm. like you can't have a fantasy movie unless your hero has some like gimmicks weapon that somehow flies through the air at some point. Yeah. Well, that was the thing I was saying that I remember, or at least know about, was that the three-pronged sword with the the, the shot, the two side swords out. Like I remember that. I I don't remember the movie. Talking about a softcore porn film. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, No, I I remember that too. Yeah, even though I don't think I ever saw this movie. Apparently, um, apparently this movie was pretty popular. Like it. So actually, what happened was that um, the producers heard that Conan Conan the Barbarian was coming out. And they're like, oh, we should do a movie like that. And then they got it out bef- like a couple months before Conan the Barbarian. So it got a lot of, um, huh. y- you know, sold a lot of tickets because it was sort of ahead of the, you know, ahead of yeah. the huh. ro- pop- popularity of Conan the Barbarian. I was going to say, a- any financial success this movie made whatsoever must be based solely on the fact, on the number of breasts they put in the movie <laughs> versus the, the age of the, and demographic <laughs> of the audience. Like, I'm sure. Every teenage boy was like, "You got, you have got to see this movie." <laughs> but apparently, the um, that three that three bladed sword, there was a toy of that that was like a best selling toy that's, that year. Maybe that's so. what I remember. Yeah, there were very few injuries. Very few. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> All the eyes were fine. Everybody it's got their like, eye put back in. That right. sword is like I don't know. That sword is like so. Uh, it sounds good, but it's kind of like a, a double-necked guitar. It's like, well, you can only really play one of them. Like, I don't understand how it's... I don't know. It just seems like it's more of a better idea when you think of it. And then when you actually see them trying to fight with it, you're like, I don't know. Maybe you oh, can slice absurd. an egg with it. It's absurd. Yeah, it's definitely not a uh, practical weapon. And it yeah. never answers the question, too. Like, after you shoot one of the blades out, does it come flying back to your sword at some point? Or do you have to go retrieve it and stick it back in? Nah, you have to pull I, the yeah. spring back. There's a whole process. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the same guy who made the uh, fully automatic crossbow. Uh, yeah. Also designed that sword. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so those are the two movies I just thought were like dreadful. Like, would you, um, yeah. who would, who, if anyone, would you recommend these two movies to? Who? Yeah, like, do like you think our friends? Do you think, yeah, do, like, do you think <laughs> anyone should watch these movies? Well, I mean, if you want a good laugh, Hawk the Slayer is just, I, yeah. I belly laughed the whole thing. I, Me I too. thoroughly enjoyed it as a terrible, terrible movie. Me too. Um, Sword and the Sorcerer, not as funny. But it's got its moments. 
Yeah, I would I would agree with Andrea 100%. I would not recommend Sword and the Sorcerer to anybody unless you really are like coronavirus in the house and you really have to have <laughs> some bad fantasy. It's just it's just dull. It's the opposite of Hawk the Slayer in that I found it I found a lot of it really dull even though it's bad plus dull which is bad whereas yeah. Hawk the Slayer I found bad plus extremely entertaining. I mean right down to the you know, the the overuse of slow dissolves, like cross dissolves, where you have, like, a guy riding a horse, and then it'll cross dissolve into him riding the horse. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> okay, like, that's kind of yeah. 80s music video, but... Past, like, snakes put in trees, like, they're just like, let's put yeah. the snake in the tree. And, it'll be like and, and skulls, there's, and skulls, there's skulls the hanging place. And yeah, fake it's the yeah, every they shot, also did... they're like, we, we can't leave any shot normal, we've got to twist yeah. everything. <laughs> Well, they, they also did this thing, um, especially at the beginning, where they could do close-up of eyes. What people were, you know, when Hawk was staring people down, they'd close-up of eye, oh, cut yeah. to bad guy close-up. And it was very, again, Sergio Leone, um, uh, spaghetti western type of shooting, but it just went on and on and on. Yeah. It was like, okay. <laughs> I guess also yeah, if yeah. you didn't get enough crucifixion in Conan the Barbarian. Oh, God, yeah. Well, that, that was my, one of my, like, points about this about sword and the sorcerer was you crucify somebody his hands are useless right like it oh, you're yeah. a not, cripple no, from there fine. yeah he He's was just totally like, fine yeah, just give me my sword i'm, I'm yeah good. i was like yeah. no no you're you're yeah. crippled for life buddy you're not picking up a sword ever again <laughs> also i heard that they actually crucified through the wrists because if you did it through the hand you would just fall down it would, it would exactly it would break your hand yeah right. yeah yeah when he and died. also, I think you, I think you die really quickly because you, and you die of like suffocation because your chest yeah. compresses. Pneumonia, uh, according to my ancient medieval histories teacher in uh, in junior junior in high when I was a junior in high school. Yeah, he said you you hang and then you can't. You have to pull yourself. You have to do a pull up every time you want to breathe. Yeah. And so you you start suffocating and then eventually your breathing gets really shallow. You catch pneumonia and and that's why. When they pierced, there's a legend that when they pierced Christ's side, the uh, the the sputum came flying out and got all over the soldier and made him immortal. And, and oh went, yeah, went into the cup that became the Holy Grail. Or yep. Know, anyway. Yep. Yeah, and 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 that guy, he had also gotten his hand stuck to a tree with a throwing yes. knife or something when he was a kid. So yeah. Oh yeah, had, that's right. He had some real rejuvenation abilities there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So speaking of, uh, the Holy Grail, Tom, that was a nice segue to our, uh, our next, uh, film, Excalibur, 1981, which I think is a, uh, a distinct step up from, uh, from those two. Uh, so this is John Borman, uh, who also, uh, directed Zardoz, which you may remember yeah. <laughs> from our awesomely bad 70s and 80s science fiction panel. Uh, and so, yeah, as you could guess from the title, this just tells the story of the King Arthur and the quest for the Holy Grail. The whole story from the whole, you know, from the Sword in the Stone through, you know, the war against Mordred and everything. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so Andrea, what, what yes. did you think? What are your overall thoughts on Excalibur? Well, I mean, I remember seeing this when I was a kid and I remember being excited to see it and then not knowing what to make of it because it's such a bizarre everybody's stiff it's it, you know all the lines are delivered stiffly it's bizarre you know like merlin's a little bizarrely comical 
And the Arthur is very like, I couldn't make, like, Arthur was bizarre. So it, it's like, I can't say I don't like it, but I don't hate it either. And it's definitely a step up from Zardoz, which was possibly one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like, I, I, I have a, almost no opinion of it other than it looks beautiful. <laughs> As a film, it looks gorgeous, but it was just, it, it was, it was too long and it's just like, I didn't care, but, and it's not funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it, the the production values are absolutely unbelievable in this movie. And especially, you know, having been made before CGI, like yeah. everything in the movie is real. You know, it's like a real yep. castle, like real armor, real, you know, sieges, all that kind of stuff, which is really, really impressive. And, and all the sets and everything are just unbelievable. Yes. Uh, I'm going to read something. This is from a YouTube video I watched by Hellzilla. Uh, he says, Excalibur is a pretty remarkable production. John Borman was working on a Merlin film as far back as 1969, which would have called for such a huge budget that at one point he was offered Lord of the Rings instead. Imagine how epic your movie is when the studio <laughs> thinks Lord of the fucking Rings would be cheaper to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's what so so production values. Unbelievable. Uh, Tom, yeah. overall impressions of the movie. I loved it when I was a kid. I, I think I was aided by, uh, my, our, the aforementioned ancient medieval history teacher. I had two of them. It was a fantastic class in junior high. It lasted two hours a day and I absolutely loved it. And they drilled all kinds of Arthurian legends into our heads. We had to read all kinds of stuff, uh, all kinds of different Arthurian legends. They, they told us about them. We had to watch all kinds of different movies. And by the time we got to this one, I think I knew so much about the Arthurian legends that I was just like, oh, there's that part. And there's this part. This is so great. So I think that helped a lot. But I also think I just, I mean, I just fell in love with this thing as a kid and then went back later and, you know, watching it recently, I was like, I'm not going to like that as much. And I swear, I loved, I thought it was great. I thought it was, huh. I thought it was really um compelling. I thought, you know, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of like angst for me in the different scenes, like, oh no, Uther can't do that. That's such a stupid move, but he <laughs> got to because that's who he is. Look at the character. <laughs> and uh that was kind of pulling me through the whole way up until you get to what's the part? There's this part near the end. It's like they run out of story, script, money, and caring. Except, <laughs> except, except nobody told Judy Dench, who just was like, No, 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 this is still no. awesome. Hel Helen like, Mirren. Helen Mirren. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, Helen Mirren, pardon me. Uh at the end, like she still like totally was into it. And it's like right I think it's right when Mordred is born. Like right after that, everything where just she kind pulls of falls him, apart. She, she gives birth to her own son, where she pulls it out of her herself. <laughs> oh, oh, I didn't know that she cesarean yeah. sectioned herself. No, I, she pulled it out of her own vagina. Oh, I missed <laughs> I, I don't know how that You didn't remember that? that? That's like one of the things that... Wicked laughs in the lightning. Yeah. That was one of the things that stuck in my head forever. Oh, my gosh. I, I, yeah. I don't know how that guy missed it. Maybe the version I watched didn't have that or something. I think I watched well, it on Amazon Prime. Maybe they cut that out. I don't know. Oh, well, it's, it's, it, it's interesting, though, Tom, you mentioned Helen Mirren, because this movie has some amazing actors in it. Oh, God, right? yes. There's Helen yeah, Mirren, yeah. Liam, Liam, Neeson, Liam Neeson, Patrick, Patrick Stewart, Stewart, and Gabriel Byrne. Yep. Uh, unfortunately, none of them play King Arthur, yeah. Merlin, <laughs> I or know. like I, I thought the, or I thought Lancelot. the, or Lancelot, <laughs> or Guinevere. You know, like yeah. all of whom I thought were pretty terrible. I mean, I like, know. 
Um, but I, let's, let's get Matt in here. What do you, what do you, what do you make of all this, Matt? All right. So I'm going to color my response by first saying that this was the, uh, last movie that I watched of the five. <laughs> yeah. Um, so after watching the four other ones, I was like, this was a breath of fresh air. Um, so I, like I said, I saw this when I was six or seven. I was bored to tears. I probably saw it on TV a few times and never completed it. And then maybe about 15, 20 years ago, I rewatched it. And at the time, I was like, eh, it's kind of slow. I, this time through, I loved it. I was like, huh. I was really like entertained by it. So I've been, you know, and we've done a few podcasts on this. Like we watch, um, like solo, for example, right? So where you have to hit all those beats. Oh, we, we know the story. We know what happens. We know right. X, Y, and Z is supposed to happen. And the, the way I've seen it done recently in a lot of films is just so awkwardly enforced. And I felt like the way they introduced all the elements here, just it, it never, I never was like, Oh, that was kind of awkward. It just sort of happened and it worked with the story. And I was like, you know, elements were set up like, the dragon fog where, where like Merlin does it yeah. earlier, then it happens again later. And then, yeah. uh, the way that Morgana was like, you know, trying to learn from Merlin. Mm-hmm. And I love Merlin. Like, like he's just such like, he's like, he's, he's a lovable asshole, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and he's just like, you know, Arthur is, is kind of a jerk. Um, but if you saw the king that came before him, you're like, well, actually compared to the previous king, he's, He's got a lot of honor. And I was, I was actually kind of moved at the parts where he's like, you know, the first time where he, he pulls Excalibur out and he's like, you know, if, if you will be a knight and follow a king, follow me. And then they go to the castle and then they're fighting. And then he's, he's like, wants the guy to yield to him. He's like, should I yield to you, a squire? And then he's like, and then he's like, gives him the sword. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then I was like, I actually was like, oh my God, that was really moving. Like, yeah. And, and I, I felt like, there were points in this film where I was actually surprisingly moved because I did not expect to be. Um, it, it probably is a little long, but, um, I, I, I enjoyed it. You know, the, the, uh, even, even the end where they throw, they throw, he throws Excalibur into the lake mm-hmm. and the lady, the lake grab the sword and take it under. And you're like, Oh, that's going to go to the next king or, or maybe it's <laughs> going to be buried for a thousand years. Yeah. You know, it was, it was just like there was a sense of, of myth. And, and, um, it kind of reminded me of, um, of, of Clash of the Titans in a way, in the sense like they're just dealing with these, these big myths, which, you know, if you analyze them rationally, they, they make no sense. They're like, this is ridiculous, isn't, but from a kind of, um, emotional sense, from a, a, a mythical sense, uh, I found it really effective. So yeah, I well, enjoyed it. Well, well it's, it's a great story. I mean, like, and I haven't thought about the legend of King Arthur for a long time, you know, and just going back and watching them, like, holy shit, this is a great fucking story. The sword and the stone, yeah. the lady in the yeah. lake, like, all oh, this is a great story. Um, yeah. I feel like I agree with Tom, I guess, that I felt like, I mean, like, I, I you know, I, I just, I, I found, um, Arthur and Merlin just like weirdly like overemphasizing everything. Um, but I thought it was like reasonably good up until like, like Tom says, around the time that Mordred is born, it just started to feel like a sort of the Cliff Notes version of like, okay, there's like a lot more story and we just gotta like get through this as fast as we can. Um, so I mean, I feel like it's like, if you don't know the story of King Arthur and you want to watch like a two hour and 20 minute version that's going to give you the story, this is a pretty good, you know, pretty good at doing that. I don't think it's that great of a movie. 
um, because of some of the performances, but, um, you know, uh, so it's sort of a mixed bag for me. I, I totally agree with Matt, though, that the, uh, I love, I loved then, and I still love now the idea that Merlin is still frozen in that crystal cave somewhere, and that yeah. Excalibur is still there on, in the lake somewhere waiting till the time when we really need it, and, or when England really needs it, and I, and I also love the idea that, you know, King Arthur isn't dead. He's just taken away by those three women on the boat, which I remember that was something in the Arthurian legends about them, too, that they took him to some castle where they're going to keep him in stasis until he's needed again and he'll come back. I, I just that just even now just talking about it gives me chills. I don't know why. It's just such a cool concept that this hero from long ago is like still out there just waiting for the right moment. It's kind of like a Marvel hero or something, like uh, <laughs> like, like Captain Marvel. She's yeah. on another planet, but she's going to come back when we need her. Um, well, but that's yeah. like the basis of like almost every religion oh, is that the you know the, the yeah, figure well, has died yeah. but is going to return. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, oh, what was going to say? Uh... Well, I sorry to interrupt, uh, but I also love the fact. I don't know if have you guys read the Crystal Cave books. I assume probably. I I never read them actually. They're no, very good. At, this made me want to go back and reread them. I loved those books as a kid. Absolutely loved them. They're so well written. And a lot of this movie owes a lot of debts to those books because a lot of, like, the crystal cave that she imprisons him in mm -hmm. is, uh, is direct. It's like a, it shows up again. It's like Merlin's inner sanctuary. He has this crystal yeah. cave that he, it's like a giant geode, basically, that he goes into. And, uh, that's where he draws his power from and that's where he learns everything. It's a super good, I think it's a trilogy or it might be four books, but it's really good and a lot of it shows up in this, not just the Arthurian legends, but the, the details that the author, I can't remember her name, that she put it's on Mary it. Mary Stewart? Yeah. Mary Stewart. Mary yeah, Stewart, I kept, yes. I kept wanting to say Mary Shelley and I was like, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I know it's wrong. But anyway, yeah, uh, all the details that she put in there, I think Borman kind of lifted some of those out and, and used them in the, in his movie. Yeah, this is ostensibly based on Lamore d'Arthur by Thomas yeah. Mallory, but um, I haven't I haven't read those things in so long. I, I couldn't say what's from what. But the the thing I was going to say that I really liked was when Percival is looking for the Holy Grail and he comes upon the the tree where all the bodies of the knights are hanging. Yeah, and, oh, and, yeah. Like, froze. That yeah. Mordred is killed. Like that was so freaking cool. Like, and that was and like, then... yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. And then they hang him on it, and he's like, he's hanging on it like, this is going to be me too, but then he has that whole hallucination, and uh, yeah, that that whole sequence was really cool. Yeah, so there were just a couple, because I did see this when I was a kid, and there were just a couple things that I remembered, and that was one of them, and then obviously the having sex in full plate armor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel I like, that really in my notes, I'm like, that must hurt. <laughs> yeah. I'm really like, I'm disappointed that like adult life has turned out to involve much less sex and full plate armor than I was supposed to be. I love You can the, still uh... make it happen, David. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let you guys work that out after the panel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I loved, I absolutely loved the, uh, the inclusion of the Carl Orff song, O Fortuna. Um, which, mm. which I looked up and it, and it means, oh, fortune or oh, fate. Or that's, that's one theory. The other one is that possibly, uh, Carl oh, Orff you... was really into tuna sandwiches. <laughs> but, but, uh, you mean the, but, isn't it the Carmina Burana? That's what I was thinking. Yeah, Carmina, yeah it's, it's yeah. from Carmina Burana, but the actual song is called Oh, Fortuna. And it's from, uh, it's from a poem that Carl Orff lifted the poem, Oh, Fortuna from somewhere. Mm. To use it as the lyrics, but it's it's basically just saying, "Oh fate, you're 
you keep screwing me. Yeah. Um, my other favorite thing about this movie, or one of my other favorite things, is Merlin's charm of making the, uh, which I also mm-hmm. had memorized. I used to say it all the time. My whole life, I've said it all the time. <laughs> well, I used to say it summon all the fog? Yeah, well, what it means, uh, yeah, he summons the fog, but it, it literally, I looked it up, this, this guy who like speaks old Irish or reads old Irish translated it into, uh, and he gives his reasoning for why it is this way. And he's like, you could interpret it this way, but I'm like, no, no, no I trust you. Um, he sounds like he knows what he's talking about, but he says it translates as serpent's breath, charm of death and life, thy omen of making. And he, he, he writes the old Irish out, and then he writes the modern Irish out, and then he writes the English out, and he explains why. And, you know, Merlin keeps talking about the serpent's breath, and that's what the fog is. It's the fog. The dragon. This, it's right. the breath yeah. of this dragon. The dragon of the he, world, yeah. Yeah, that he, that he, he summons forth. And so, uh, I thought that was really cool that Borman, that was really cool too, that Borman somehow, like, he, he didn't, this wasn't just, he didn't just come up with some nonsense syllables. Like, he actually, dug into some old Irish and was like, you know, it's going to have to do with the serpent's breath that I'm talking about. And um, so I don't know. I thought that was really cool that he, he thought that put that much detail into it. Hey, Dave, do you remember when we saw Ready Player One? Yeah. And they use that line in there no. as a clue. Yes. And she says it, the character says it. And I just started laughing in the theater because <laughs> I immediately... <laughs> immediately recognized it. I'm like, nice. that's Excalibur! Yeah. <laughs> Alright, well, well, speaking of dragons, let's move on to our, uh, our next movie on the list here, Dragon Slayer. Um, so in this movie, there's a dragon, and the um, king appeases it by delivering virgin girls as sacrifices twice a year, and the people of the town aren't happy with this, and so they secretly go and um, recruit a, a wizard. The la- I think the sort of the last real wizard to help to kill the dragon, but he dies, and his hapless apprentice, his very sort of arrogant, overconfident apprentice, uh, takes takes up the task in his place. Um, and so, uh, so Matt, what did you overall impressions of Dragon Slayer? Well. <laughs> you know it it okay. had it had a good setup <laughs> um i i i wanted to like this movie you know it, it has all the elements of like a really fun story but for me the biggest um drawback is i just couldn't get behind peter mcnichol as like the mm-hmm. hero yeah. there was just something about him that just didn't seem to me as like the guy you could get behind. Like, he seemed more of a, a sidekick character, and sorry to Peter McNichol, he just didn't seem like like this, the hero that, you know, I just didn't kind of buy that um, Caitlin Clark, that Valerian is, like, going to fall in love with him. and, and um, But, you know, there's something about this set and setting that I really liked. Like, the, the dragon... Something about the visual of that dragon just flying over the mountain stuck in my head from when I saw this as a kid. And like, you know, and then like the logo, Dragon Slayer. Yeah. And well, I, well, the, I the thought, dragon special effects are great for uh, yes. really this was this Disney. Astounding. This was Disney, yeah. right? Was it, it was Disney? Like Disney really? in ah. Disney and Paramount or something like that. It was apparently George R. R. Martin uh 
really liked the dragon in this and commented yeah, on that. Yeah, because I, I also, was... Yeah. Uh, what's his name? The other guy, Guillermo del Toro, said it's the mm-hmm. best movie dragon up until yeah. recently. Yeah, and the baby dragons. And, like, I thought they it was, like, obviously, you know, uh, you know, plastic and, and goo. Yeah. Um, and not CGI, but for, for, for plastic and goo, I was like, oh, those are pretty terrifying looking, you know, dragons. Yeah. And then at first I'm like, oh man, he's going to kill a baby dragon. That's so horrible. It's just, <laughs> yeah. a baby. and then like you see the baby like eating the woman alive and you're like, okay, <laughs> I see why they did that. Yeah. They, you know, they, let's, let's show them chewing apart her, her, her limbs and her ankles. And, um, it's, it's a fun movie, but it's it's way too long. I, I felt like forty five minutes in, I'm like, wait, isn't the isn't the story over? Like, <laughs> oh wait, 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 it's just starting. Oh, there's more. Oh, okay, um, yeah. And there's something about um, Caitlin Clark that I really liked, and she looks really familiar. And I know she's been in other stuff, and. Uh, I think she passed away a few years ago from, from breast cancer, but I feel like there's something extremely familiar about her face. Like I've seen in other eighties movies, but like she was, yeah. Yeah. I felt that, sorry to interrupt. I felt that way too. And I kept thinking, I know her, I know her from somewhere. And I thought she was the heroine from Slapshot, the, the hockey movie, fantastic hockey movie with Paul Newman, but yeah, no, it wasn't her. She's not in her in that movie. Yeah. It's it's one of my favorite movies. Yeah, my oh good, mine too. But I, I looked it up and I was like, no, that's not her. And I and I looked at her filmography and I was like, no, I don't know her from anything. But you're right, she has that face that you're like, she looks so familiar. And then what I finally settled on was I I just feel like she's just like a quintessential jo- Joan of Arc character. Quintessential she does Joan of Arc character, have like Joan of Arc. She, look, yeah, she should have been in like a really good Joan of Arc adaptation. Like she would have been flawless at it. I feel like. Well, so, so Matt, so you mentioned that, uh, George R. R. Martin, he actually lists this as the fifth best fantasy film of all time. What? His list is Lord of the Rings, Princess Bride, Wizard of Oz, Lady Hawk, and Dragon Slayer in fifth place. Um, and you may have noticed that there's a character called Tyrion in Dragon Slayer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and obviously, like, Valerian kind of reminds you of, like, Valerian Steel and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. this obviously uh... had a big impact on George R. R. Martin. Just as a coincidence, the guy who played Tyrion plays um, the Hawkman, the, the like the captain of the Hawkmen in Flash Gordon. Oh yeah, uh, John Luro. Yeah, John. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Huh. 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 yeah. Um, I I had seen this as a kid. I didn't. Re- I remembered it being kind of boring. Um, like I could never. Like I would just fall asleep and never finish watching it. I actually sure. thought it was pretty good. Um, I think the, the end, it, I agree with Matt, it goes on way too long. Um, but, um, overall, I, I was like, wow, this is a lot better than I was expecting it to be. Uh, Tom, what do you think? Um, yeah, I, like, uh, Matt, I was, I was actually kind of relieved to see that Peter McNichol didn't get typecast as like a swashbuckling action hero type. Oh. Uh, that's my sarcasm there. He, he's the guy from <laughs> Ghostbusters 2 who's like, why am I drippings with goo? Yeah. He's that guy. But, uh, but yeah, he, he's just, I, I, I agree with you, Dave. I thought it was like a good-ish, could have been a good movie. I thought the, the kind of setup and everything was kind of cool. And then, um, yeah, I just couldn't get behind Peter McNichol. I didn't, I didn't really, I just kept, I don't know. I was just kind of irritated by him. I kept 
wanting to like turn around and be like, oh no, I can see now where you're supposed to like him, but I never really kind of felt that way. So, and apparently he has completely disowned this movie too. Like he doesn't list it as his. Uh, uh, well, I read this in the trivia on IMDb, so I don't know how true this is, but he's. It said that he doesn't list it in his list of movies in his acting CV. He leaves huh. it off because he's embarrassed by it. <laughs> I mean, that really surprises me. You know that that he feels that that way because I, as I said, I thought it was pretty good. But the thing that I really liked about it that I want to mention is the whole lottery. So they have this, um, yeah. you know, when they're just deciding who's going to be sacrificed to the dragon, it's by a lottery system. And, um, and we find out as the movie goes that the, uh, the king has sort of secretly exempted his daughter from it and that all the wealthy people all pay so that they're not really in the lottery. It's just the, the poor people, you know, whose, whose daughters are sacrificed to the dragon. I thought that was really interesting just from a sort of like social critique kind of standpoint yeah. um and then when the the princess finds out and she uh replaces all the um, tiles in the lottery with her own name so that she she's the sacrifice because she thinks that this is unfair what's been happening all this time i thought i was like wow for for like this movie this is really interesting um yeah which i i really like that scene as well and and i was kind of hoping that she wouldn't you know perish you know, like that, that, right. <laughs> she got by eaten by baby, baby dragons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Andrea, you have anything you want to add? Uh, I mean, I agree with everything. Well, I agree with, well, the dragon, that was one of my big notes was that the dragon uh, for a 1981 looks amazing. Yeah. Like it yeah. really holds up. Um, I, I thought the girl Valerian was a, I thought she was a terrible actor, but, but you know, whatever. And, and I agree that, uh, Peter McNichol was just like so miscast in this. Um, the thing I've, I've seen this movie so many times because for some reason, I guess back in the nineties or late eighties, it was on cable all the time. And since, you know, it was like a sword and sorcery movie, I was watching it. Um, the thing I felt about it watching it was like, it, it felt boring to me. It mm. just dragged. It was just kind of boring. Um, so it doesn't help, it didn't hold up the way I remembered it, um, being, but maybe that's cause I was, you know, young and I, I it, often wonder too, like if, you know, if you go back and watch films of, of, you know, decades before that the pacing is very different on a lot of yeah. stuff. Oh, sure. If our, our patience for, for films is, well, is, you know. Yeah, everything used away. to be a lot slower back then, and I, which I actually kind of like in a lot of movies, but I agree I didn't like it in this one. See, the yeah. thing is that movie pacing changed exponentially in 70, what, 79 with Star Wars. Star Wars is the first movie, like one of the first movies that did like quick cut, um, quick cuts in a scene. Cause if you look at, um, uh, 2001, the oh, Space Odyssey, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you compare, and that was only like a year before. The, the pacing is so much different. So a after Star Wars and how, you know, exciting it was and how much it changed cinema, it really changed cinema and how movies are cut. So this should have been better. I don't know. It well, doesn't what have. Year, what year was, um, Close Encounters? It was 1980, right? 1980, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I feel like there were it films. Draws. 
Yeah, like, uh, well, Jaws is actually kind of Jaws slow is... at the beginning. Um, yeah, but it picks up. <laughs> it picks up. Yeah, yeah, like, I, I feel as if, you know, there were films being made that had a swifter pace, but this, this wasn't one of them. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. It did have a lot of camera moves, though. I don't know if anybody else noticed that, but a lot of camera moves, like, not even panning, but like rising and falling up and down. It was, it was, Really, I don't know, it just really st- struck my eye that there's a lot of camera moves in it, which, I, you know, interesting. I thought the one cool thing I, I wanted to mention was when uh, Valerian gathers up all the dragon scales and makes him the shield made out of yeah. dragon oh, scales yeah. that's going to protect him from the dragon's breath. I was like, oh, that's a really cool idea. I really like that. that. She's pretty brave. Cool. Yeah, she's pretty brave to go like collect that. them. The I mean, I didn't I... believe it would actually protect him when the dragon breathes fire on him. I mean, his whole right. body is, like, engulfed in, like, 10 yeah. feet of flame, but still his, cool his, idea. his blonde permanent is still fine. <laughs> yeah. <It's> like, <laughs> That's no. exactly what I thought. Like, why isn't his hair on fire? <laughs> right, exactly. But the one thing that stuck out to me about this movie, too, is the, at the, you know, the, after I finished watching it and I thought about it, I was like, the whole premise of it, the the, the whole idea, like, the sorcerer, kind of like gets himself to be killed by the guard so his apprentice will go and care because he can't the, the kid's like oh that's what, the whole he didn't really have to die i can bring him back to life he just couldn't make the journey on foot because he's so old i'm like yeah so he has the guy who's older than him do it for him yeah like the the guy who's like ah, i'm good i can barely walk you know like, <laughs> he's like hey you you carry it for i'm too old you carry it for me like the 90-year-old guy, you walk across the country, and then they'll bring me back to life, and that way I don't have to walk all that way. <laughs> yeah. That was, well, sounds lazy to me. Well, well, yeah, there's, I mean, a lot of, like, there's so many movies where, you know, the, um, you're like, why didn't the wise sage just explain this whole thing to the hero at the right. beginning? It would have, yeah. like, saved everyone so much trouble if you just, like, all right, here's the deal. I'm not yeah. making this fucking trip. <laughs> I'm going to die. Like, take my ashes, put them and throw them in the dragon boiling lake and everything. I'll take care of it from there. You know, like. Well, that's yeah. the thing. He did tell that to the 90 year old guy, but he didn't tell the kid. Because the 90 year old guy, when he's dying, he's like, take the ashes, throw them into the lake of fire. And the guy, goes, I, don't I don't understand what you're telling he's me. He's like, what are you, what are you saying? What, what are you talking about? And then at the end, he's like, oh, I get the lake of fire. Cause he, I get it now. I'm like, yeah, well, you should have told both of them. And not yeah. like, so the 90 year old guy will make it. He'll be fine. He'll make it. I'm like, I'm like 75. I can't make this. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Any, uh, any final thoughts on Dragon Slayer before we move on? Nope. All right. Let's move on to Willow. Um, so this is jumping quite a bit ahead in time. So Willow, this is 1988. And so this was like a collaboration between uh, George Lucas and Ron Howard. And actually, I don't know a ton about the making of it, but my impression has always been that George Lucas, you know, wanted to sort of do for fantasy what he had done with Star Wars. Um, You know, and and I think this movie is remembered as being sort of a flop. Um, I remembered it. I mean, I watched this quite a few times growing up, and I always sort of thought it was like, okay, not amazing. Um, but I, I remembered it as being sort of a mediocre fantasy movie. Yeah. Um, going back and watching it now, it was actually, I thought, better than I remembered. But, um, yeah. uh, but so Tom, what's your impressions of Willow? Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. I, I, uh, started out, I remember when, when, you know, I was a 
giant Star Wars fan. Was seven years old when I saw the first one. Watched all of them. I was, uh, I was in 1988. I had just graduated from high school, and I was like, "Oh, sweet! George Lucas is done with Star Wars. He's going into fantasy. He's going to show us this movie." You know, he could have done a. I, I knew the whole hype leading up to it. I knew he could have done another Star Wars movie. I knew he had written. He had these ideas for nine movies total, and the next ones were going to be prequels. And I was like, "Why isn't he doing the prequels? Why is he doing?" A <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Let me go watch this thing and find out what it is. Maybe this will be really cool. So I went and watched it, and I remember sitting in the theater and going, this is kind of cool, I guess, but really? He did this instead of another Star Wars movie? Like, ah, I guess he needed a break. That was kind of like the impression I had then, and then when I watched it now, like you, Dave, I was like, ah, it's not so bad. It's it's better than I remembered, but um, still definitely not. You know, I, I was surprised to learn that Lucas didn't direct it. I thought he did. And then found out that Ron Howard actually directed it. And, uh, that made a little more sense to me. Like, Ron Howard was probably just getting started in directing. And, uh, you know, so it wasn't quite up to Star Wars standards. But, uh, yeah, wasn't, wasn't 100% in love with it, but didn't think it was completely awful either. But when, when Andrea's talking about the quick cuts, like, this movie had unbelievably quick cuts. I mean, that's something that really jumped out at me. It's like every scene is just like, Here's what you need to know to understand this shot. And now we're moving on to the next thing. So I actually thought the pacing was pretty brisk. And yes. uh, yeah. this, this, um, it, the, the tone of this was much different than I remembered it. I remembered it having a more serious tone, like, uh, um, crawl or, you know, something like that. And like watching it now, I'm like, I couldn't believe how much of a comedy it was. It, 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 the tone to me now watching it now is more like, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy or something. I mean, it's like so like making except, fun of itself. Yeah, except not that funny. No, no. You, well, obviously, but, but it's, it's that, it's that, it's that same like comedic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, did you notice that one of the brownies is Kevin Pollack? Yes. Yeah. And the other one is Ke- uh, Rick Overton, who's a comedian. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, Rick Overton actually heckled my friend's father in a comedy club in Boston one time. Ha! And uh <laughs> and he was like he was like making fun of my friend's father and my friend was thinking you were in that you were in that movie. That's your whole claim to fame. You weren't even that good in it. <laughs> oh, actually, sorry. I forgot to give a plot synopsis though. So um so so Willow is the title character and he's a Oh, wait, what are they called? Melvin? Uh, who are like no, hobbits, no, no. basically. Yeah. And, um, and there's this evil queen, Bath Morda, and there's this prophecy that this baby is gonna be born that's gonna destroy her, and so she's rounded up all the pregnant women in the land, and is checking their babies as they're born for this, uh, signature birthmark. And when the baby is born, a, a nursemaid or something smuggles it away, and sends it down the river, Moses style, where, where Willow, yes. this like hobbit, <laughs> finds it. And then, um, he's sent to, uh, give it back to the, the humans and gets, uh, really attached to it and ends up, uh, you know, defeating Bath Morda and making friends with, uh, a bunch of heroes along the way. Oh, and he's also, he's an apprentice magician, sort of very similar to the character in Dragon Slayer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that's mostly the, uh, mostly the plot. Um, so, uh, so Matt, what are your thoughts on Willow? Um, I remember Willow being on HBO like 
every other hour. Like if they, if even if there was only one channel of HBO, somehow it was on like tw- twice at the same <laughs> time. I mean, it was always, always on. So it got to the point where I, I just started hating this movie just because it was on so much. Um, you know, I rewatched it now. It, it's, it's an enjoyable film. I, I think that the, the pacing is much improved over the other films we saw. Um, there's definitely a tonal shift. Uh, for me, like, I thought my least favorite part were, were the brownies, like Kevin Paul oh, yeah, and, uh-huh. and Rick yeah. Overton, like, like even the scenes, I'm like, oh, that was emotionally affecting or that was exciting. Then they'd come in and do this stupid little joke. Like, I was <laughs> yeah. like oh, shut up. Just get yeah. out of the scene. Um, it, I, you know, I could have done without them. Um, but, you know, it, it was, it was definitely a Lord of the Rings ripoff. I mean, you, you have like hobbits and, and, you know, the brownies are basically Merry and Pippin and, yeah. um, yeah. you know, I, I really, I, I like Val Kilmer's swagger in this. And I think yeah. when I, when I saw it as a kid, I didn't quite pick up on the humor. And, and then now I'm watching it. And I'm like, oh yeah, he's just, he's just completely just playing this off the top. And I, and I, and I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, it's, it's a fun film. I, I don't know, I don't know what I, you know, I don't know what else I can say yeah, about well, it. I'll, it. Let me, yeah. let me jump in there. Cause yeah, cause, um, one of the YouTube videos, they said Val Kilmer is doing a like, um, dissolute rock star. That's, that's the <laughs> character he's playing. And I'm kind of like, yeah. yeah, that is, that actually is what he is. And I mean, um, I actually never, so there's this, um, I mean, another uh, impression I had watching this movie is it just feels so Hollywood, like, I yeah. could just imagine like some producer like chewing a cigar. He's like, "Okay, we're gonna make a picture, and it's gonna have a romance, and it's gonna have a wagon chase, and you know, like <laughs> like somebody who's yeah. made like a million like westerns and stuff." And he's like, "All right, you know," and it, there's like all these like cliche things that a movie has to have, and they're all in here. Um, I thought that um, uh, uh, the characters Matt, Mad Mardigan, who's Val Kilmer, and Sorsha, uh, mm-hmm. had like really good chemistry. Um, well, they got married, and yeah, I, I actually never knew that they actually got married after oh, wow. after this movie. Um, so that was one thing that I—I th- I mean, like the whole like the whole thing with Sorsha like turning against her mother like happens yeah. obviously like, ridiculously quickly yeah. And, yeah. and everything. Um, but um, yeah, just the way those two characters interacted, I thought was pretty uh, enjoyable. Um, They're making a um, a series on Disney, a new a new oh, series, a Willow series. Yeah, that's oh. that's what IMDb says. Ron Howard confirms Willow series at Disney Plus. Wow, this huh. is a, a live action series. I would presume. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Who was uh, who did Sorsha? Sorsha looked really familiar, and I meant to look her up. Uh, was she like in a sitcom? Played like a the lead in a sitcom in the eighties? You know, Joanne Whaley. No, she was yeah. known for this, and then she also did the. Uh, a movie about the perfumo scandal in England in the sixties, where she was one of the women. Um, that's yeah. what I know her from. Yeah, so. she's. I looked her up. I mean, she's been in a lot of stuff. I mean, she's been working ever since then, but nothing that I had seen. I don't think. But um, you know, she's still. I think like, she was in. Sorry, I was. I was. I think she was in something recently. Yeah, that, some TV show she was in recently that was pretty popular, but it was one I haven't yeah. seen. Daredevil. She uh, yes, Daredevil. she's the mother. Yeah. Yep. Huh. That's it. Exactly right. Um, I thought that 
Bav Morda's death scene at the end was like a clip from a, like a sword and sorcery OSHA safety training video. <laughs> she, like, she like prepares this all elaborate spell and then she like accidentally knocks the blood on herself and puts her hand up in the air and the lightning strikes her instead of the baby. It like drains her soul out. It's like if she, if she had only followed a few. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Zero days since the last right. spell act. <laughs> what did Why Bav she Morda rap- do wrong? <laughs> what did she why was she wrapped up like a mummy like she had that robe on but then like underneath she she was swaddled personal, like a mummy personal it was protective equipment i guess I, I, I would imagine that she's like used match that she's probably like a thousand years old and she's used magic to keep herself looking younger but she, oh. like she's like sort of like decrepit somehow that would so be she just wraps okay. up the parts that she can't magic she's like i don't have enough magic for my face so i can't yeah the rest of me i just have to wrap in gauze well, apparently, apparently, you know, I haven't read them, but apparently, um, this mo- uh, Lucas had a whole series in mind he- for this. Yeah, yeah. And like, since this this didn't do well enough for any other movies to get made, but he had Chris Claremont write them as novels. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. I bought one. I remember <laughs> buying it and being completely bored. And just <laughs> that was it. I got like a couple of chapters in, and I'm like, and done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that, so like the thing, I'm, what do I think is really good in this? The thing, one of the things that has always really stuck with me is, so there's this character, Finn Rizal, who's the, the good wizard and she's been turned into a, what is it ori- originally? Uh, some sort of like, it was man, a like kinkajou. It was a kinkajou. Okay. Okay. I don't know what that is. But, uh, <laughs> it's Australian. And, and she gets, it's, it, it, and it gets turned into like different animals. She gets turned into different animals throughout the movie. And then, and she tells them like, oh, my, my true form is I'm this beautiful young woman. And then when he turns her back into a human, she's this old, you know, an old lady. And I always just like, there's something really like memorable and sort of poignant about that to me that, you know, mm-hmm. that you got turned into an animal and you just think, oh, if I can just become human again, I'll, I'll it'll be like I was and I'll be powerful and everything. And then you're like, wait, uh, it's been so, I didn't realize it had been so long. And like my whole life went by and I was just this like Pinkajou or whatever the fuck it was on an island. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like a <laughs> but, but doesn't she, doesn't she say, doesn't he say to her like, I thought you said you were young and beautiful. And she goes, and she just kind of laughs it off. She's like, Oh, I guess, uh, I guess I was in there longer than I thought or something <laughs> like that. No, I think she says, has it been so long in sort oh, of yeah. a wistful way? Oh, okay. Yeah. Pardon me. I thought she was like making a joke out of it. No, getting turned into a kinkajou is no joke, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. Well, it she is. aged in kinkajou years, I guess. <laughs> oh, <laughs> think of that. Uh, Matt, what do you think? Any other any other thoughts? Um, I I think Val Kilmer was the greatest swordsman who ever lived. <laughs> He is great. By far. Yeah, no, he is great. I want to see him in, in more stuff. I want, I want to rewatch his films now. By the way, that... <laughs> well, watch... watch um, Tombstone. Yeah, I was going to say um, Real Genius. Real one Genius. Of my fa- that, that, that's one of my favorite movies of all. Ooh, fa- favorite that, movie yeah. from the 80s. Oh, yeah, really? It's so You've good. never seen it? No. Oh, my oh, God. That is a that great possible? film. It's a great movie. I was going to say Tombstone. Or I did say Tombstone, but... uh. That uh, he's uh, that to me is his finest role by light years. But but this one, I wanted to mention that the uh, the doggone tra- trailer for this that they played incessantly during my after school 
Well, I guess it wouldn't have been after school because I guess I can't believe it was 1988. It must was did it come out in the summer at least. So at least I was still in high school. Probably. Probably. Uh, it would make sense for this to come out in the summer, but I, I don't know. Yeah. Right. Okay. So so they played this thing incessantly, uh, this trailer, and it, and it just had that line from. Uh, from Willow saying, you are great! Like, over and over and over again. <laughs> I saw it in the movie, and I was like, oh, there it is. Okay, thank you. Let's move on. Um, let me say, though, I mean, um, this was the first, this is actually the first movie I ever saw on DVD, and it was the first movie I ever, like, watched the DVD commentary for, and it's actually Warwick Davis does the commentary, and it's great. Like, he does a great job. Um, and he's really, really into it. Um, he's really, really passionate about it. And, um, the thing that's always stuck out in my mind is he was saying, you know, sort of like I was saying about Excalibur is that since this was before CGI, that there's the scene where, um, the army rides by when he's trying to give the baby away at, near the beginning. And he's like, yeah. that was a real army. You know, we, we didn't like <laughs> duplicate people. Like there was this actual <laughs> army that like rode by me and it was just like so like amazing to see. And it like helps your acting so much. Like you're not like just like a tennis ball and you're like, oh, that's an army. Like there's an actual like yeah. army riding past you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, although this, the special, like, so, so yeah, the stuff that's real looks great in this movie, but the stuff that's like fantasy. Like oh the, yeah, the two-headed dragon looks like yeah, it was awful. terrible. And I can, yeah, I can yeah, even as bad, even as a kid, like when I had no idea about special effects or anything, I can just remember watching this movie in the theater and turning to my dad and being like, "Why does the dragon like look so weird?" Like you know, like even as a kid, you're like, "I don't know why this looks so wrong and like not real and everything," but like something is not right with this with yeah. this dragon. It, you know, it looked even back then to me, it looked like they took the Rancor beast from uh Return of the Jedi. Oh yeah. And they like just like duplicated its head and uh and gave it fire. Like gave it like, you know, gas jets coming out of its mouth. Yeah, that is what it looked like. Yeah, the the green screens on it were terrible. The green yeah. screens on all of these movies were terrible. Yeah. I do like the fact that they have these big like uh, like chin back you know, gas pouch things where you're like oh if it's gonna <laughs> breathe fire it kind of makes sense it would have like something like that you know yeah um did you guys know that that monster is called the ebor sisk i no. saw that i saw that in the trivia in imdb yeah which is a reference to siskel and ebert the two-headed no. monster oh yeah. yes. really? <laughs> two-headed monster <laughs> but they didn't they didn't put it in the movie but then they put it in it showed up uh, they released it somehow and it showed up in a it was, lot of in, it was in the novelization oh okay <laughs> um and also um Gen- general kale is a reference to film critic pauline oh, kale pauline kale who <laughs> had given george lucas's movies uh Bad enthusiastic reviews, reviews. yeah <laughs> And uh, since we're on the IMDb trivia, I also read that the, uh, what was Warwick Davis, that was his name? Mm-hmm. That yeah. uh, the whole reason that this movie came about is because uh, Warwick Davis was an Ewok, and George Lucas yep. got to really like him on the set of Return of the Jedi, and uh, and was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a whole movie around you. Uh, now that's, you know, that's 100% true because I read it in the trivia pages. Of <laughs> I- <laughs> It's on the internet, so of course it's true. Of course. All right, cool. Any uh, any final thoughts about Willow? Uh, Matt, no more no more thoughts about Willow. Come on, you watch. I mean, on, on I would HBO I would watch. 
I would watch a Dis. I would just check out the Disney series, just one or two episodes, because I I think that it there's an interesting world there. I mean, yeah, it's a Lord of the Rings kind of uh, rip off, but I, I would I would check it out. I, I I was entertained enough by this movie that I would be curious to see what they do with it. I mean, I feel like part of the reason that this falls a little bit flat is because with Star Wars. It draws on like Flash Gordon and samurai mm-hmm. movies and westerns and a bunch of other stuff, and I feel like this movie pretty much just draws on like Lord of the Rings and Conan the Barbarian. Uh, you know, yeah. like I feel like George Lucas wasn't—I mean, I don't know—but I, I feel like he wasn't as knowledgeable about or or maybe passionate about fantasy as he as he was about kind of westerns and. Well, that's what he watched growing up. There wasn't a lot of Lord of the Rings stuff. You have to read the books. The movies he watched as a child and based all of Star Wars on were those those westerns and and Flash Gordon and all of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, there is that element of George Lucas in it, but I think for me it felt like there was too much Ron Howard in it. And I would fully admit that I'm not a Ron Howard fan. I don't think his, um, not my favorite director. So what, what would be too much Ron like Howard? That? You didn't like Apollo 13? It, it, it's, you know what it is about Ron Howard movies? They're all really earnest. They're just very earnest. He's Opie. What do you want? I know. <laughs> I know. Sarcastic bone in his body. <laughs> I know. I, I I like a little edge to my movies. Uh, okay. There's not a lot of edge in Ron Maybe the Disney movies. series will be the darker Willow. Maybe, The, gri- yeah. the Grimdark. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm there for Grimdark. Always. Well, like, the, the thing that sticks out in my mind from the movie that I'd forgotten where I was like, this is so dumb, is where uh, Mad Mardigan's rolling down the hill with the snow. Oh, and when he comes so into bad. town, oh, he's, like, yeah, in this giant, like, snow tube. Ro- it was like... Yeah. Who thought like who thought this was a good idea to put this? Yeah. <laughs> probably Ron Howard. He thought it was yes, a good idea. Yes, probably Ron Howard. Well, how old was Ron Howard when he made this movie? I mean, he must have been he must thirties. Like, if that, right? Early thirties yeah. maybe or eighty eight? Yeah, he was probably in his thirties. Okay, yeah. Yeah. But then I mean then look at look at Apollo thirteen. That was a I think that was arguably a great movie. And that was that was maybe what was that like ten years later or something? No, it was more than that. So he had some time to mature, is what I'm saying. Willow. <laughs> like Willow was probably like, you know, he was he was like, oh, this is a good idea. He probably looks back <laughs> on that scene and is like, oh man, that's a snowball, really? That's like <laughs> maybe he's uh, disowned it, like uh, the actor from Dragon yeah, Slayer. He doesn't even list it on his uh, IMDb page or anything. <laughs> um. All right, so we're pretty much out of time. I guess, like, um, as I said, there was a lot of uh, interest in us doing these uh, awesomely bad 80s fantasy movies panels. But I feel like we're kind of, like, starting to scrape the bottom of the barrel here if we wanted to do any more. Because uh, yeah. we've, we've talked about pretty much everything that I've seen or heard of. And so I just looked at the, uh, you know, there's a page on Wikipedia where it's uh, uh, sword and sorcery movies, and they're they're by decade. So... Uh, all we've got left that we haven't talked about. Actually, I've heard of the animated ones, uh, which would be Heavy Metal, The Flight of Dragons, seen... oh, and Fire and Ice. Heavy Metal is yeah. fantastic. As, you know, yeah. for a kid, I mean, it was fantastic. So maybe we could do those. Then, like, I've never heard of, like, Black Angel, 
Conquest, no Deathstalker, there's like a bunch of those. No. Hearts no and idea. Armor, Hercules, Hundra, The Sword of the Barbarians, The Devil's Sword, <laughs> Sword of the Valiant, The Legend of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, The Warrior and the Sorceress, Barbarian Queen, Amazons, Wizards of the Lost Kingdom, Iron Warrior, and that's pretty much it. Has Gawain and the Green Knight, we watched in high school, and I really liked that. I thought that was great. Oh, I must have. That's that's the one. Oh, that's the one because yeah, where he chops the he chops the guy's head off, and then the guy like picks up his head. I remember watched. I've seen that scene on TV. What's the one? It might be that one. But what's the one where Rutger Hauer plays the bad guy, and he has this speech where he's like teaching this kid how to use a sword. The kid who ends up fighting him at the end, and he's like, "Oh, see? that's with Ma- uh, Matthew Broderick and um and uh, what's her name? Uh, oh man, Michelle Pfeiffer. Lady Hawk. Lady Hawk. He's not the bad He's guy. Not the bad no, guy. it's not Lady Hawk. He, he oh, says, right, right. Sorry. He says, yeah, his right. speech is, you see, a sword is three feet of tempered steel with death <laughs> dancing along every inch and coming to rest like a dark star on the very point. And I can't remember. I should just Google that, I guess. But I was trying to think of that because I thought it was going to be one of these. And then I was disappointed that, I, that that didn't show up. But that would be a good one because I remember that being a cheesy 80s fantasy might not be fantasy though. It might just be like you know medieval times or something. Hmm. Yeah, I guess we could. I've I've never actually seen those animated ones, any of them, all the way through. I've seen bits and pieces of some of them. So I depends don't know. on how deep you want to go. Yeah. <laughs> I well, mean, I was we thinking. Can... I was thinking that you can do um, TV shows from the eighties because uh, I was thinking of like Battlestar Galactica from the eighties, and then one of the guys from the Sword and the Sorcerer. Was in a show called Manimal in the eighties. Oh my god, Manimal! <laughs> and I was like, "Oh man, oh, that what would about, be great to talk about." What about Kolchak, the Night Stalker? The Night Stalker. That actually, was, some of those actually are scared. actually entertaining. Oh, some they're good. No, scared. it's not yeah. bad. It's bad. Yeah. Good. The mannequin one. Yeah. Does anybody remember that? That gave me nightmares. Yeah, he would like he would like the mannequins didn't move, but he, every time he would turn around and look, they would be a little closer, like Stephen King's hedge maze in the in the show. yeah. Uh, th- that's a fantastic show, but that's the 70s, I think. Yeah, right? it is the 70s. I, yeah. I believe it is the 70s. But. Yeah. All right, well, if anyone has any requests for what, if we ta- if we do another one of these awesomely bad kind of panels, what we should do, uh, definitely let us know. Because I feel like, I don't know, I, w- I don't want to, I think it's fun to talk about things where you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that, or I kind of have at least heard of that. Whereas talking about five movies like no one even remembers or has ever heard of. Yeah. Uh, seems and and that are bad seems a little pointless to me. But um Yeah. I don't know. Give us some feedback. Let us know what you think. What about um what about movies that aren't in the eighties? Like has have any of you guys ever seen Karate Robo Zabragar? Have not. <laughs> no. <laughs> Watch it immediately. It is Hawk the Slayer times a million. Oh. <laughs> and what decade is it from? Oh, it's probably from like this decade. I mean, it's not. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah, it's okay. it's an it's a Japanese movie that's overdubbed, but it is abs. It, it will it will completely blow your mind. Like I, the first time I watched it, I told everybody I knew about. It. I was like, "This is this is so bizarre." And then there's um Italian Spider Man. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe this is inappropriate. This one might not be appropriate. Well, it, whatever. <laughs> Italian Spider Man is like uh, somebody just made this. It's on Vimeo and and maybe YouTube now. It's just like somebody's passion project, like a film student or something. It is absolutely. It will absolutely again blow your mind all the way through. Uh, oh, actually, let me let me mention. So I, I forgot to mention. So the sword and the sorcerer at the end, it promises Talon will return in yes. the sequel. Yeah. 
Uh, actually, I didn't write down. It was something about the Empire of something or other. Yeah. Um, and, and apparently the director tried to get it made for decades, you know. Yeah. It, it, it came out, or like at least some version of it came out within the past decade or so with starring Kevin Sorbo. I think it's, it's pretty different Ooh. than the original idea and is super low budget. And I haven't watched it. All the reviews were like, man, the sword and the sorcerer is my favorite movie and this movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> How could you ruin my favorite film? <laughs> this is, yeah. It's this a real is not what, <laughs> so I just, I couldn't bring myself to watch it, but I don't know <laughs> if anyone's seen it and, and there's any reason to watch it, uh, you know, let us know. Um, all right, but yeah, so we're all out of time. So um, let's get some final thoughts from from everyone. So uh, Matt, any final thoughts on these uh, most recent five movies that we talked about? Um, Excalibur is my favorite in five. Um, I think that's actually a, a good, solid movie. Willow's entertaining, but it's it's okay. Hawk the Slayer, just for fun. Uh, the other is I could take them or leave them. All right, how about uh, Tom? Yeah, I agree almost exactly. Excalibur number one for sure. Hawk the Slayer for fun. I don't. I don't really. I wouldn't really recommend anybody watch the other ones, honestly. Because hmm. I actually, I I thought that Willow and Dragon Slayer were by far the best of these, and uh, I have Excalibur number three. But um, I don't know. No accounting for tastes, uh, Andrea. I mean, <laughs> Dragon Slayer. You could see it for the cool dragon effects, definitely. Yeah, definitely, definitely for the cool dragon. Um. Willow is the best made film. Um, uh, Excalibur is the best looking film. Everything else is terrible, but <laughs> definitely, definitely watch Hawk the Slayer. God, if you want to have a, just a good laugh, a good two hours of laughing, watch it. It was, de- as I said, delightful. I am an elf. <laughs> That's why I talk like this. He never makes eye contact with anybody in the whole movie. People are talking, standing- they're standing right next to him. And he's looking. And he's, away. Standing, he's standing like everything is in a profile. Like he, everything. Like, my ear glue like, is falling off. I like, need more glues. Glue for my like, ears. He's the elf. He's the elf on the spectrum. The the actor never read any science fiction whatsoever, or saw any. I mean, any fantasy or saw any fantasy movies, and they're like, "Well, he's like, I don't get what's an elf." And they're like, "Just it's like a robot, but it's like." And he's like, "Okay, I get oh, that." Oh right. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, let's, let's, uh, let's wrap things up there. So we've been speaking with Andrea Kale, Tom Gerenser, and Matthew Kressel. So thanks, everyone, so much for joining us. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to Andrea Kale, Tom Gerenser, and Matthew Kressel for joining us on the show. And remember that Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarrkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.